Hi there, it is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to podcast episode number 212. And this is the third installment in our four-week urban survival series. Now this week, it's all about little-known ways to find food in urban areas following an SHTF collapse. Don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free downloadable show notes, including our handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the highlights from today's broadcast. All you need to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 212 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's do some urban survival grocery shopping. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And as I've said, this is our third installment in our four-part series on urban survival tactics because I really feel like urban survival as a as a prepping term is one of those areas that really is misunderstood and a lot of people are overconfident with how their skills will transfer over into urban environments. Now, even if you don't live in an urban environment, you might have to pass through urban environments to be able to get to another location if you can't go around it. Or it might be some reason that you have to go into an urban area for major medical treatment or major resupplies for something that you might have. And you just be a little bit more conscious about how the laws of survival and how you're going to find ways to sustain yourself in that environment, how they're a little bit different maybe than if you're looking at like wilderness survival or, you know, just someplace that's more rural, right? So the, the laws do kind of change there, right? There are some dangers there. There are also some additional opportunities for you there. And that's what this four-part series is all about. Now, in episode one, we talked about finding shelter in urban environments. And last week in episode two, it was all about finding clean drinking water, even if you're in toxic environments after a disaster. If you missed either of these episodes, I make sure that you uh, go back and listen to them. I highly recommend that you do that. Now, this week, it's all about feeding yourself and other members of your family or your survival team if you're living or passing through an urban area during an extended crisis or a collapse. And you may actually find it surprising how quickly food resources in urban areas dry up way faster than they do in more rural areas where there, there's not as much of a population density, right? And there's there's reasons for this, right? We even saw this during like um it was in Hurricane Sandy when it when it hit the East Coast in two thousand and twelve. We saw normal people, like not homeless people, we're talking about like just normal people that were diving into dumpsters looking for food. And New York City is about as urban as you can get. And you would see this same thing in other urban areas. It, it, it happens, right? So, look, people have to eat. But it was surprising how quickly a little bit of hunger, because we're we're used to not really being all that hungry, right? Like we have food readily available to us pretty much any time that we want. So when people start just feeling hungry, right, like they haven't even gone like a full day, then they start to they they start to expand what they see as edible food and that's why people that did not have any food stored up 
and rescue uh, teams and, and uh, resupply was not set up yet in New York City. People were hungry. They started literally going into dump, uh, doing dumpster diving, right? Of course, you don't want to do that. Um, but that's, that's what happens in these types of environments. And that's why, you know, we have to really look at how do you get food in these environments? Because water is probably going to be more readily available for you. So it's not going to be as difficult. We went through several ways that you can either store water, find water, scavenge water in the last episode, right? Shelter, again, not too hard to accomplish, but food is that one thing. Although you can live quite a while without it, it's the one thing that's going to be a little bit harder for you to get. Now, in our conversation about water, we did break it down into those three areas of stored, hidden, in other words, unknown ways that you might have something. In other words, water that might be hidden in your in your home or in other homes or buildings that people don't know is actually there and drinkable. And then the third one was scavenge. Like if you don't, when you go through your storage or you don't have your storage anymore, um, you've gone through hidden areas. How where can you find or scavenge water in urban areas, right? Well, we're going to do the same thing for food. So let's just go ahead and start with stored food. So when we look at stored food, we look at basically what you can do ahead of time, right? What you can do before any sort of a a crisis actually hits. But we're also going to talk about what you can do at the time of the incident as well. So for stored food ahead of time, actually, I did a whole podcast episode on the differences in, in what you really need to know about dry goods, canned goods, survival food storage, and things like that. That was in podcast episode number 206, and you can go ahead and get that. Uh, you can go back to that podcast on our website. You can go listen to that. You can also go, I believe that one is also set up for, yeah, it's also set up for um, you can get the free show notes for that, which will have the audio. It'll have the the cheat sheet and the transcription in there. And you can go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 206. You can go grab all of that as well. Um, so I'm not going to go into all of those different options there because it's, it was covered in, in depth in that one podcast, episode number 206, all right? But there are some things I didn't really cover in there um, One in, in ways that you can do it. So like a garden is one example, right? Um so you might have a garden that you can go to outside, but if, especially if you're in an urban area, if you live in an urban area or even a suburban area, when food starts getting scarce, people that can see an outdoor garden are going to ravage it, right? You're going to wake up one morning and all of your food has been picked dry, right? And it's going to take a while for that to come back. So one way you can get around that is to do indoor gardening. Now, there are hydroponic systems that you can have set up. There are more elaborate systems that include, you know, using fish and oh, your plants and water, and it's kind of this self-sustaining system. So those kinds of systems are pretty elaborate. They're awesome to have, right, because they can be indoors. They can be in a garage or something, and nobody really has to know that, uh, that they're in there. One of the easiest ways for you to grow, like, a secret garden is with using earth buckets, and these are just five gallon buckets. There's, it's one inside of the other. And essentially there are whole, like if you figure the, the, the bucket on, on top, you know, they're stacked together, but the bucket on top is going to have holes drilled in the bottom of it where water can go into the bottom bucket. And then you can also, and then you just fill it up with soil. Uh, you go ahead and, and grow stuff right in there. You can have indoor grow lights that can go off of you know, you can do battery, you can do, um, 
You could do a, a solar generator, something that the, these are LED grow lights specific to growing like vegetables and things. They're like usually red and blue. There's like, there's a different, um, light spectrum that vegetables feed off of, right? So these grow lights allow those, those plants to grow indoors. And, and I'll probably do, um, I think for our, uh, for our New World Patriot members, we're going to be doing a video that shows how to put one of these together. They're really not that hard. We have some ways that we do it indoors to be a little bit more covert with it. Um, but you can just look up online how to make earth buckets and that will be, it's a really easy way to kind of grow something in your garage or even in a closet somewhere that you can have some fresh food that you can go to as well. Um, also, if you're looking for any protein, we didn't, we didn't cover chickens and rabbits and like raising those for food. I'm not really a homesteader, so I don't have chickens on my property. I'm not allowed to have it in my subdivision, even though I live in the country. A lot of people do have chickens out where I live, but my homeowners association does not allow it. So I don't have chickens or rabbits or anything like that. A friend of mine, Marjorie Wildcraft, um, does all of that stuff, and she's amazing with it. She has DVDs on it and stuff like that. I'll go ahead and put a um, a link in the resources for this for this uh, podcast so that you can see some of the stuff that she has over there as well. It's really, really good. Um, but let's talk about what happens at the time of incident. So we did talk before when we were, when we were looking at water uh, that there are, um, you know, basically at the time of incident, you want to fill up your bathtub with as much water as possible. So there are things that you can do when you know something is coming that's going to take away your resources, right? So at the time of incident, we don't recommend and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this again when we go into security in the fourth episode. But we don't recommend that you going down to the local grocery store if it's being overrun. Now, of course, if it's, you know, a small town or something like that and you live there, then I would absolutely recommend doing that. We'll talk more about that in security. But these are the places where people freak out because they realize that their resources are going to be limited. And if people are just basically just harvesting off of those shelves and they're just dumping stuff in there, it's going to be an area that you don't necessarily want to go to, right? So if you are in an area that the local grocery stores are being overrun and you're near an urban area, another option for it are ethnic stores instead of the neighborhood grocery stores. So by that, I mean, if there's like an Italian deli, um, the one I like the most are any sort of an Asian market. These are not typically frequented by, you know, average Joe white boy like me and other people in my neighborhood, right? Like if you go into an Asian market, most likely what you're going to see there, especially the closer you get to urban areas are that there are pretty much all Asians in there, right? Same thing goes for a lot of Indian markets, but these ethnic stores are often not frequented or even known about for the most part by other people. And we tend to go to the, the thing that's closest in our mind of where we're going to go and get food. So if we're used to going to the grocery store, our local, you know, Piggly Wiggly, then we're going to go down to the local Piggly Wiggly, right? Um, but, um, so these are the things, these are the areas that most people don't think about, but there's lots of really good food there. What I like about also about Asian markets and also Indian markets is that there is a lot of processed food, which will last longer. Um, than fresh food will. There's also a lot of dried food, like dried beans, dried fish, um, especially in the Asian markets. There's dried protein there, a lot of a lot of dried fish that will last a long period of time, and you're not going to be dealing with the same crowds that you will at the local grocery store. All right. 
So, um, so at, at that time of the incident, I recommend ethnic stores, things like that. If you do have an outdoor garden, right? And we talked about how you could wake up one morning and all of that is gone. At the time of incident, I recommend that you go out there and harvest whatever you can immediately. And each day that stuff becomes harvestable, you go out and do it so that you are at least getting as much of that food and you can freeze it. Or if you're good at canning, you can can it. Um, or you can just eat it, right? Since it's fresh and you can, it'll, it'll keep you from tapping into your other survival food storage that is going to last you longer. And that makes a big difference out there. Okay. Okay. So that goes over stored food. Again, go back to podcast number 206 to go uh, get more in depth uh, details on what you can do ahead of time. Uh, for, let's talk about hidden food now. Hidden food isn't, it isn't like water, right? Like in water, we talked about how like the back of, of toilets, in that reservoir, that water can be made drinkable, hot water heaters. We talked about places in your home or apartment building or other buildings where water is, but most people don't know that it's there that you can tap into. Well, food is a little bit different, right? Like there's not like a lot of hidden food in your home that you don't know about. Other than like, you know, there might be some M&Ms in your couch cushions or something, right? But there's really not like a lot of hidden food. Um, but there are some things potentially like even on your property, there might be edible plants that are out there. And if you've listened to me before, you know that I'm not a, I'm not like a big wilderness survival plant guy because plants really don't usually give you a lot of calories, right? It's, it's not usually uh, like you gotta, you gotta eat a whole bunch of uh, dandelion leaves to really get enough food there, right? There are some exceptions to that. And I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but, um, but edible plants are a way that you can also kind of supplement whatever your other food plan is. So it does allow you to put like fresh food, like fresh greens or fresh uh, wild plants that you can eat um, that will help you get a, a more balanced diet, first of all. It will also help you to just have a varied diet. So you're not just eating macaroni and cheese the whole time, right? So uh, get to know the edible plants that are, are on your property. Just go ahead and get a, a plant book for your region and just start taking a tour on your property and looking at different plants in there. Okay. Um, you also want to potentially look at planting these wild plants on your property. So if you do find edible plants that are in there, maybe you can order some of those. Maybe you can get them from a local nursery. Um, if you go and look at herbs, you can get those typically at a local nursery, right? So there are things that you can get there that will add more flavor to your food. Maybe not be like basil is very easy to grow, right? Um, chives, super easy to grow. Like those things can, can help you to make your current food more palatable. And you can plant those so that they look like wild plants on your property. You can just plant them in the ground somewhere, right? And just tend to them there. You can also look at other uh, other things that you can plant on your property, like berries, like bushes for berries, uh, nut trees. And again, these don't have to look like you have a garden. So you don't have to put a fence around them where somebody walking down the street would say, hey, I'm hungry. That person has a garden. I'm coming back after dark and going ahead and harvesting that garden. This, a berry bush can be off on your property somewhere and nobody even really knows that it's there. You don't want these to look like a garden. Same thing can go for nut trees. I live here in Texas. Uh, one home that I did have was a, um, a pecan tree right outside of my, right outside of my back door, which was awesome, right? Like free pecans. It was awesome. 
get to know where there might be other trees in your area that are nut trees and be able to harvest those either on, you know, plant one on your property, whatever will grow in your area. Uh, that, so that is an option as well. You could also do some sort of a fruit tree if they will grow in your area. Other things that you might be able to plant as plants on your property that, but not inside of a garden that could still grow well could be things like potatoes where you can't tell it's a vegetable from on top of the ground, but there's potatoes growing in there. Sweet potatoes, any sort of tuber, anything that doesn't look like a, a, like it's, it's bearing vegetables or fruit on top of the ground that somebody might look at and notice that it's there. You can grow other things that are there. Okay. So that's, those are some examples of hidden food or how you can plan for hidden food, right? Okay, um, so now let's talk about the final one, which is scavenged food. Like, how do you go out there and find food in urban areas when your storage is gone or when other people have already raided all of the, the, uh, the places for, the, like, the grocery stores and things like that, okay? So there are some places that might actually have hidden food in there. Um, and what, what I'm talking about here are kind of like abandoned buildings or buildings that are maybe in service, like a church is a, a really good example. So there might be a small church that pe- that is opening up its food, like a lot of churches have a food pantry for members or for the public that are low income, right? So they might they can go there for having um, some sort of a charitable giving uh, of theirs. So so that's an option right there. Um, you can look at, so you might be able to go to an open, like a church that is open and giving out food. So other people, even from around the country, because a lot of people, a lot of people, if there is like a, a local um, or even like a, it's a large disaster, but um, it's affected a, a wide, a large area. Like, you know, we have hurricanes getting ready to hit the East Coast here. And so when that happens, a, a giant chunk of area is going to be, is going to be hit catastrophically. So what ha- happens is that people from around the, the country, sometimes even around the world, start sending food, not realizing that that's not what people need. What they really need is money in the area. But people will send clothes and food and all kinds of stuff there. And so a lot of times FEMA can't take that food. And so it ends up going out to churches or on the outskirts. A lot of it ends up going bad. Um, but some churches might get it. And so these churches might open up kitchens or they might open up food distribution points just within that church to be able to do their part. So that is an area that not, a lot of people might not even know about. But even if the church isn't open, a lot of them do have kitchens for doing banquets or brunches for their thing or for those um, for giving out. So, so if it is an abandoned church or a church that's not open, you can look and see if there's any signs there that they will be giving out resources. Um, I'm not saying break into churches on day two of a crisis, but if we are talking about an SHTF event and uh, it's an extended crisis, going in and trying to scavenge food from church kitchens is one opportunity. Uh, the basements of these types of buildings might have it. Um, any sort of a business building that has cafeterias in it, whether it's a, a truly like a business or it could even be a school cafeteria area and school is not in session because it is a, a collapsed environment or something like that. Well, they have these giant cans, right? They have giant canned goods, giant cans of beans, giant cans of fruit cocktail, all the things that you hated as a kid getting at, at school. Um, there oftentimes are these, these large cans that can be used, right? So you want to look inside of schools. 
uh, lunch rooms inside of business buildings that have cafeterias, hospitals, um, vending machines in these areas can be a source of food as well. Um, so that is, those are some areas that people might not necessarily know about, or they might be the next thing to be looted when it looks like it is going to be a long-term collapse and you might want to get there before other people do. And again, I'm not talking about, Hey, yay, the storm just hit yesterday. Let's go and bust into this school and grab all their canned beans. I'm not saying that we're talking about true collapse. Shit hits the fan. Life as we know it has changed. These are the type of places that you can, uh, you might be able to find it, right? Or if you're traveling through an urban area and it looks like it's pretty much decimated, those are the types of areas that you can look for. And they are on a map, right? So you can find schools, churches, and those will be on typically like roadmaps and also on um, topographical maps as well, right? So you can use those. But now let's talk about urban foraging for plants. Now, again, I said that it's not really easy to do this, right? Like plants don't give you a lot of calories, but there are certain plants or weeds, in, in fact, that will grow in urban areas that people might notice but not really re recognize that they are food. An example of that, as I said before, are dandelions. And you can pretty much, you can eat the whole thing of the dandelion, all the way down to the roots. Yes, even the yellow flower, although the buds are are much better to eat like before they become a flower. But dandelions, every part of it can be eaten. The greens themselves, the, the leaves, uh, are used in salads. I've seen them in restaurants in salads. So you can use dandelion greens. You can either use them as a salad or you can cook them up. You can saute them and they're, they're delicious. So a little bit bitter, but, um, they're, but they are edible. They are beneficial for you, right? Another thing you can do is you can look for nut trees. We talked about that. Um, acorns are something that you would normally find in most urban areas, right? Like if you're, especially if you're in the North or even I'm in Texas, we have, we have oak trees here and, uh, acorns can be eaten. And if you ever stick one in your mouth right off the tree and, and you don't have, don't get them off the tree, like get them right from the ground, actually. Like the ones that have dropped are still good. As long as you, you pop that little like cap off of it, right? As long as it doesn't feel rotted or hollowed out, if it's a firm acorn, well, you can use that as long, and it doesn't matter if it's brown, uh, the brown ones are more, um, you know, they're, they're riper, if you will. The green ones are going to be bitter for a little while longer. The brown ones are going to be easier to, to, to use later on. So with these, basically what you want to do is you want to keep, you want to soak them because they're very bitter. If you ever try eating one, they're very bitter. So what you want to do is really soak them and you want to change that. The water is going to get bitter. So again, now that you know how to find water and get water and assuming that water is not an issue for you, you can soak acorns, um, changing the water several times until you, you taste it and the nut is no longer bitter, okay? And the reason why I, I highlight acorns is because a pound of acorns is about 2,000 calories, and they're very versatile. Like you can eat, you know, once they're, once they are truly nut, you've gotten all the bitterness out of them, you can just dry them in the sun, eat them as they are right there, or you can even grind them down into a flour and use them to make other things. I've never had anything made with acorn flour. I'd be curious if any of you have ever had anything made with acorns. If you have, please leave me a comment on the, on the, uh, the blog for this podcast episode and let me know. Um, if you know more about acorns, let me know. But I do know that they are high caloric. They are like a nut. So, um, they can be used. All right. The last thing we'll talk about is urban hunting because there are going to be animals that 
hopefully will be available in types of, in, in these types of urban environments. So certainly you can go off into more rural areas and be able to be able to catch some game there, go fishing there. We talked about, um, well, maybe we didn't talk about that. We talked about water um, in different areas, like in areas for uh, graveyards. A lot of them will have these ponds there. Uh, golf courses are another area that we haven't really talked about that could have water resources there. Um, so those types of places. But also they might have fish stocked in some of those ponds that are in those different areas. Okay, so you can certainly go um, fishing in those areas. Uh, but we can talk about different animals that are available even in urban areas here. So um, squirrels are a very common thing that you see in urban areas, right? Rabbits are another thing. You might not see them running around the area all that much. But at night, if you have any sort of night vision goggles or anything like that, you can you can pretty or if you have a, a, a game camera, you're going to find that there are a l amazing number of rabbits in urban areas that come out looking for food, especially in in suburban areas. Uh, pigeons are something that are very common in urban environments, any sort of bird, but pigeons especially are easier to catch because they're used to coming closer to people, right? You can even feed them. They can get right up close to you. You can get them. So how you find these or how you get these. Now, one thing I haven't talked about here is cats and dogs, right? Uh, you might find that there could actually uh, be a lot of feral dogs and a lot of feral cats during a collapse because either, you know, one thing, FEMA does not allow animals to come into any sort of a, um, like a, a, an aid area, a relief area, a, a FEMA camp. Uh, animals are not allowed in there. So people, a lot of people have to abandon their, their animals or they can't feed them. They can't take care of them or people die and the animals end up becoming wild animals. But uh, dogs will tend to pack together. Cats typically won't, so you won't necessarily see a bunch of cats together. But dogs can be a real threat in an urban environment. So it's not like you say, here, Fido, here, Fido, and he comes up to you. Like they could be, they're going to be hungry too, and they will go in packs. Um, they could be very dangerous. But certainly cats and dogs, I'm going to just throw it out there. Yes, they can be food, right? But we're talking about the smaller things that are a little bit easier to, to catch here. Um, you'll find a lot of people in survival scenarios will talk about using like a um, like a rat trap, right? Yes, rats, rat traps will catch rats. And yes, you can eat rats. You can eat rats. Um, the more toxic the environment, the more likely that they could be infested. I mean, it's kind of a common myth that they're all rabies infested and they're all carrying the plague and everything else that comes back from the days of the plague. But uh, they certainly can be toxic. Again, you want to make sure that you are cooking any meat that you get completely. Now, the longer you cook this thing, the, 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 the safer it's going to be. But you can't eat rats. You can't eat squirrels, which are essentially rodents also, right? Uh, rabbits, um, another thing, you, uh, that especially on, like down here in Texas, things like possums and, um, uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff floating around out here. Foxes. We got tons of deer are like, you know. Even like in my town, like you go through my town, there's deer there in the middle of the road. So um, so those are certainly out there. Um, so you can look for people that are raising those, any sort of animal on the outskirts, um, whether they're farms that are close to the urban areas that you might be able to go and talk with the, the farmer about any anything that they have there. So you might have to venture out of, out of the city to be able to go see if there's any possibilities there. But they are possibilities. 
But instead of using a rat trap, I recommend that people use a number 110 conibear trap. These are very small traps, but they're much, much more powerful than a rat trap. Um, it's, in fact, I used to put out that you could use a rat trap on squirrels, but I have seen videos where it does not really work that well on squirrels. A conibear trap is a very, it's a very inexpensive trap. It fits right inside of your bug out bag. In fact, it's one of the things that we tell people to put inside of your bug out bag. And, um, and it is powerful enough to catch rats, squirrels. I've caught, um, birds with it. Um, so pigeons, rabbits, anything like that. So it's much more versatile as a trap for catching something because a rat trap is not really going to do a lot of damage to something like as big as like a rabbit or something like that. Okay. The other option you have is to be able to shoot something with using a firearm, even like a 22. It's not really well recommended. Um, I recommend that you use something more like a 22 caliber pellet gun that you can use. Um, I recommend the Crossman pellet pistol. There is a 20, 22 caliber version of that, which is more, which is easy, which is a better hunting weapon than like the, the 177 uh, caliber. So you can get that. Fits right inside of a bug out bag. You can easily conceal it on your person. But that will also is very, very good for getting things like birds that will come close to you or anything like chipmunks, things that things that you would be able to get closer to you and, and get a, a, an easier shot on. Pigeons actually are, are easier to shoot with that type of a pellet gun. Um, but also there's a way to catch pigeons with a hanger. This was actually taught to me by, uh, by Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com. And it was something that they learned in their urban survival course then that you could basically just have a, a, um, a, a hanger and you make a little loop at the end of it as if you were going to unlock your locked car, right? Remember how you make that little loop at the end of it? And essentially all you do is it, like when there are pigeons near you, you wrap it around their, their foot and they, it, like they don't pull their foot out. <laughs> I guess pigeons are pretty stupid or whatever, but, but you, they found that you could easily catch pigeons this way, just kind of roping them by the feet, just lasso them there with this little hook on the end of a coat hanger. Uh, works really well. Okay, so those are some areas. So those those are some options that you have for urban hunting as well. So that wraps up our stored, hidden, and scavenged food in urban areas. What I'd like to do now is hear your best urban survival food tips. So please, please, please go to the blog and leave a comment for some other. Some other ideas that you have for ways of finding food, whether it's stored or it's hidden or you can scavenge it or hunt it inside of urban areas. I would love to get your tips as well. Just go ahead and leave a comment on the blog. And next week, we're going to finish up our four-part series as we dive into the security element and how to protect yourself and those you love from the chaos and violence that can be a very real threat in and around urban areas. And until then, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.